This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Body to Burial. I'm Nikki. And I'm Mariah. Okay, so before we get to our guests for the week, we actually have housekeeping, which is really exciting that we're on this part of our journey on our, what is this, our 21st episode? Is that right? 21st. Yeah. And we've got some like little podcast business to uh, talk about. Okay, so our first bit of business before we get to the guest is I just personally, and I know Nikki too, wanted to say thank you to everyone who's taken the time to go and rate the show, subscribe and leave a review. We really appreciate it. So we really appreciate you guys taking the time and showing the support in that way. Yes, thank you. And if you haven't had a chance to do that, we would love for you to go over, leave us a comment, let us know how we're doing. Um, And then Nikki, you have some exciting news too. Uh, I do. So we recently launched our Patreon page and we wanted to give a shout out to our very first Patreon, Lisa. I know I'm dying. So she joined the dispatchers group. So I wanted to thank you so much, Lisa. We really appreciate you. We're really excited and we wanted to thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much, Lisa. We appreciate you an infinite amount. Um, And for those of you who are listening, who are interested, we did, in fact, launch our Patreon page. There are different tier levels. There's the dispatchers group, the coroners, and the forensic specialists. Each of these tiers kind of offer something different. We have bonus episodes. You can see photos um, submitted from the guest that correspond to different episodes that are kind of behind the scenes, uh, looks at their jobs. And we have our Body to Burial Book Club, which is a super fun opportunity. If you love to read, we do a book a month and we're going to do Facebook Lives where we can all get together and chat about the book. Nikki and I both love to read and this is just a fun new way for us to engage with you and get to know you guys and to bring in some more crime material into the show. Well, not into the show, but to talk to you guys about. So if you want to go join, please go take a look. We would really appreciate the support. It does help us with editing and doing merch and all sorts of fun things that we have big ideas for, and we can only get there with your guys' support. So if if you have the time, please go take a look. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Well, with that, I think we should get into the guest. Today, I think we have an interesting occupation. I think it's one of those ones that like you kind of forget about that's like a thing. And then you're like, oh, yeah, Um, we're going to be talking to Lori, who is an expert jury consultant. Um, And basically, they provide trial consulting, mock trials, help with like witness preparation, selecting juries suggesting important visual concepts to help assist the jury in understanding testimony. Um, So it's kind of one of those things that like I've heard of it, but I don't really know how that works. Okay. And like who hires them and like I'm assuming a lawyer hires them to help them with their defendant. Again, that's the Mariah definition. I don't totally know exactly what they can do, can't do. But I think in a nutshell, those are the basic areas. So they pick who is right for that trial? 
I think so. And that's the thing I need to clarify because obviously like you get pulled into come and you've been selected for jury duty. But then I feel like, okay, because like, you know, like let's say there's a woman on trial for like murdering Mm -hmm. her husband. Maybe you're going to stock your, not stock, stack your jury with more women that might be empathetic to her abusive husband or something. But see, I don't know how much of that they can dictate. Can they say like, oh, we only want women who are in the ages of 40 to 50? Because to me, that feels like you're stacking the deck. Like it feels like that that's not like authentically a pool of your peers. It's like you hand selected the best ones. So I don't know if that's right or not right. So we're going to have to ask her in terms of like jury selection, how much can they dictate? Yeah, I wonder about that. But then she also helps with witness you know, preparation. So like if you were going to go stand trial, probably running through what they're going to ask you. This reminds me of, did you ever do this in high school? Uh, God, what was it called? Where it's like the mock juries? No, I know what you're saying, but no, I never did that. It was like, Uh, wasn't it like debate or something like that? It's like debate, but our, our high school had a, like a fancy name for it. I can't remember, but I feel like that's kind of what she does, like a grown-up version of that and much more serious, obviously. Yeah. It, <clears throat> well, obviously, I just watched the Amber Heard, you know, Johnny Depp Yes, trial. yes. So yeah. mm-hmm. I'm dying to see who uh, are like, you know what I mean? Like how they picked those people for a case like that or how do you pick, do you do more women? Like, do you do more men? And that trial killed me because. Well, and are you picking people who like don't watch TV, who like don't know who these celebrities are? How you know, not? like how how can you screen them to be where there's no bias? Like OJ Simpson, please. Like you've right. never seen OJ Simpson. Pl- right. Or Come heard on. of him. Or Johnny Depp. Like you've never seen mm-hmm. Edward Scissorhands. I mean, I don't know. There are some. I mean, Edward his scissor hands. I will say my husband never saw that movie until we were together. So I mean, I there can't. are people that he, are missing core movie Pirates of the Caribbean experiences. Something I believe he has seen those. Yes, thank you. I know his but it's movie. Disney. His movie background is not great. So I, but I at mean, least no, I would think that he would have heard the name or seen one, at least one movie with him to be on a jury and be like, oh, I know who that is. Amber Heard. On the you other hand, think. I have no clue. I mean, I didn't know who she was, no. aside from the fact that she was married to him. Exactly. Yeah, no. So, yeah, it's like things like that. But I like also that. feel like I don't pay attention well to pop culture anymore either, so. Yeah. But I it's could just, be yeah. like one of the out people, I don't know. Yeah, this is what I want to know, too, and I wrote it down to ask her. How many people does the defense get, and how many choices do the, um, what's the other one Defendant? called? Defendant. There you go. Yeah, the defendant. Like, how many witnesses do they get? What do you mean? Yeah, like, do they get a pick or who's picking? Oh, you mean for the jury? Yeah. Oh, I see. I don't know. Good question. Right? Um, I would think it would be the defendant team, mm-hmm. I would think, but I don't. That's a very good question. I could, Mariah, speculate for you, but chances are I'd be wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> let's just ask Lori. Perfect. All right. Uh, Yeah, let's, uh, so let's do it. Let's bring her on. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Hi, this is Lori. Hey, Lori. It's Mariah Hamilton. Hi, Mariah. How are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you? 
Good, good. Looking forward, yeah. I'm so excited to talk to you. Nikki and I were talking offline kind of before you joined us about speculating about your job and what you do and kind of how this is one of those occupations where you kind of forget about it and then you're like, oh yeah, there's this person that does this. Um, So I'm (laughs) really excited to (laughs) talk to you and have you walk us through what you do on a day-to-day basis and how you got into it. Sure, Um, absolutely. So you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my kind of layered job description for you was that you're someone who helps with selecting what kind of jury profile you would build, somebody who's going to help prepare witnesses, who's going to help with determining visual aids or what kind of testimonies to bring in, somebody who's going to kind of oversee what's going to happen in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? So that's part of the story. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. certainly part okay. of the story. And it really can go from uh, sort of an a la carte thing that's very very limited some people just call out of the blue it's friday they go into court on monday to pick a jury and they say okay what should we do (laughs) so there's that and then you're just working with sort of an experiential database in your mind or data that you may have that may relate to what they're doing and then give them a theoretical profile of who the kinds of jurors are that are good or bad and that's it and that's like a phone call or an email, and that's the entire engagement, to the other extreme where uh, I go to trial. I live with everybody in that trial. I'm in the courtroom every single day. I work with many of the witnesses to prepare them. I help to write the opening statement and the overall strategy of both jury selection and how the case will tell our story. I work with tweaking along the way because things happen at trial that you don't expect Mm -hmm, all mm -hmm. the way to and of course the graphics that you mentioned but also in terms of shaping the closing statements and changes on your feet in the ground it's sort of an active uh, interactive experience so you may have an expert that didn't do so well on the stand and then the attorneys want to bring them back to clean up what they did but actually the jury forgot about it so you don't want to bring them back and got it you help them to make those strategic calls. So you're kind of the director of the entire thing. So let me go back to the beginning for a second, because this is something Nikki and I were talking about, where say uh, you get a phone call and you're going to advise about jury selection. So how does that work? Like how is that usually the defendant's team that gets to pick who sits on the jury? And how specific are they allowed to go? Like, can you stack it all with women? Or does there have to be some sort of mix that is required? Those are great questions. So in an ideal world, the jury consultant gets to do actual profiling studies. So I can do an online study of multiple hundreds of people that test the case for a good cross-section of people of the venue. And then you find out who are the people that tend to go with or against you and, and what their reasons are, mm-hmm. how how much they're represented in that, in that venue. Um, and then the second thing is you get to inform them with suggested voir dire questions for asking the questions during the jury selection, maybe attend it. And at the end of the day, you get two kinds of strikes. I don't get to strike anybody per se. I advise the attorneys who do the strikes, but okay. two kinds. You know, one is for bias, which means that the person who's a potential juror has expressed some kind of attitude like, I hate law enforcement. Well, clearly, if there's law enforcement in the case, that's a biased opinion that you can't overturn typically. Um, so a judge will typically allow you to get rid of an unlimited number of people based on bias. 
uh, okay. meaning that the juror has expressed bias. But you cannot. There's something called Batson. It's a famous court case about how you cannot just strike somebody in a pattern like all the African-American jurors, potential jurors, mm-hmm. or all the women or all the men, unless there's a neutral reason that you're stri- striking each of them that has nothing to do with that. So can't be biased either. Okay. Okay. Talking about that, because we were like, it would seem unfair if you could stack it where it's all women or, you know, who's trying to maybe you're right. working a murder case who she killed her husband when right. you're trying to uh, appeal right. to the women for this abusive husband that she offed, you know? So, okay. That right. makes sense. Okay. Right. And that's interesting. You mentioned that because I worked on a murder case where a woman had killed her ex-husband. He was an abuser. Um, and it was very important to us since he was abusive to make sure that we didn't have any male jurors who thought it was okay to hit their wife or significant other. Yeah. First of all, you know, there are sort of layers to that. Um, and we made sure that we didn't have any bitter divorced men um, and did the reverse. So we actually had people who were both friendly to understanding what the abuse was like and also people who didn't reject a psychological expert who would explain the way that this woman was triggered by the fear that she had of her ex. Do you have people that lie when you guys interview them? Like, even if they All didn't the feel that way? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so can you dismiss jury members, like, once you've already started? Like, if you realize, you know, a couple weeks and that they're biased, can you then strike them out or no? Great question. So, well, you can't do it just based on bias. No. Also, there should be no interaction. Once a jury is, is seated the parties are not allowed to have any conversation with any jurors, nor can anyone else outside the jury other than the officers of the court. But if you discover misconduct, for example, let's say you find that a juror is posting on Facebook all about the case and what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. Or they're blogging about it. And it happens all the time. You bring that to the attention of the judge very often. That person will either be admonished to stop if it's not too egregious, or they'll get kicked off and there are typically alternates that will take their place. Is there a person that's always searching that, like for the the social media and stuff like that, when you find out someone's been doing that? You have to have a big enough team, a deep enough bench on your trial team to do that. Now, in my opinion, if you're, let's say, a small firm, that's a very hard thing to do. So what you do is you hire somebody's high school student or, or college kid who could do it in no time and just say, listen, I want you to scan every single day. I'll pay you whatever, $50 a day, you know, keep up, keep an eye on it. Interesting. Keep an eye. Right. Uh, I just wanted to clarify. So when we're in that jury selection process, the defense team and the plaintiff team, they both have the opportunity to strike out jurors before court begins. Yeah. So if it's a criminal case, it's a prosecution on one side and the defendant on the other defense team. If it's a civil case, it's a plaintiff, plaintiffs and defense. I work, you know, for all of them, not on the same related cases, obviously. And yes, they there are various amounts of involvement that different judges allow the attorneys to have, whether they are fully in charge of asking all the questions, which is more common in a state court venue. And yes, both sides absolutely get even time typically to ask whatever questions they're allowed. In reverse, there are times where they're not allowed to ask any questions directly to the potential jurors and they submit requested or suggested questions to the judge who may or may not ask any of them. 
and may just have their own procedures and ask the questions. And then each side might get a chance to either have requests for follow-up questions to reveal bias and the judge may or may not grant them. Hmm. Yeah. Have you have you seen with now like social media and phones and stuff like that? Because I was remembering back with the OJ case and they weren't allowed to look at the newspaper. And are cases different now with Internet phones and they can just go home and Google something? Can you stop that or not really? Yeah. So I, first of all, I worked on the prosecution side and the plaintiff side of that case many years ago. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was the least of, <laughs> that was the least of our problem. <laughs> okay. But um, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. But um, yes, social media, phones, all that much more pervasive, of course, nowadays for everyone. And classically, the judge will instruct and advise the jurors, don't do any research, don't do this, don't do that. And classically, many people do it anyway. So again, mm-hmm. if you're You know, my suggestion to people would be the following. One is assume they're going to do it. So how do you want to deal with it once you assume that? You don't want to necessarily say something outright to anybody because, you know, it's not the most sort of sophisticated way to deal with it. But if you're aware that they may be aware of something, then you want to incorporate that into your thinking of the case, either the prosecution or the defense. That's one thing. Um, of course, one thing, by the way, that happened since OJ is everybody expects an expert for like lint and, you know, whatever, everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yep. that's raised the bar in terms of expectations of expertise. Um, the second thing that I would suggest doing is what I said earlier is that, you know, monitor it, see, see what you're seeing in terms of the social media and what people are posting and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, if there is a report that someone is bringing that into the jury room and talking about it, it gets reported then that's something, of course, that would go to the judge and the judge would decide whether to kick that person out or or just admonish them or what. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I kept hearing that on the um, Johnny Depp trial where yeah. at the end she kept saying, now don't do any research. And I'm thinking, how? How do you not do that? How do you not like Google or? Everybody does. <laughs> A lot, <laughs> most, many, many people do. So you want to be careful in when you tell people don't do X. Yeah. Because... You know, I'll give a a very interesting pertinent example. Um, Very often there'll be a news uh, story if it's a high profile case, or at least locally it might be high profile. There'll be a local news story that talks about it and may have some damaging information to your client or, or to the other side. And very often attorneys get very nervous that when they get into the courtroom, then these people are going to be completely polluted and have, you know, complete awareness of it. And so if you say something of what you're asked, the judge to say something, has anybody seen the article that said that so-and-so is guilty before tried or, you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) You're probably actually either educating people who are not aware of it or reinforcing it or telling people, yeah, go look for it in the lunch break if you can. That's Mm. how they're going to hear it. So you want to be very careful if you want to check that out. Just keep it more open-minded, which open-ended sort of along the lines of, have you heard or seen anything recently in any news about the case or any related types of things? If so, what have you heard? Let's talk about that at sidebar and have you formed an opinion that you can't set aside and what is it? Okay. Yeah. Cause I think I could, I could see that. Cause 
if someone says like, don't look at, don't look in the closet. I got something right. in there. I'm like, Oh, what's in the closet? Yeah. <laughs> that's the first place that I'll have to go to. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause now I'm like, well, I didn't know anything was in there. So now I got to look. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the tip. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's just human nature. <laughs> yeah, totally. One of the other things that you mentioned was like witness preparation. So what does that look like? Are you helping them determine who to call for witnesses or do they come to you and say, hey, we want to pull this doctor or this family member? And then you kind of, are you basically doing like a mock trial at that point where you're kind of saying these are what we're going to ask you, here's how to respond or like how? So all of the above, it's all of those things. Again, it varies by client and situation. There are two basic kinds of witnesses. Typically, there's an expert witness and then there's a fact witness. I really work with both. Technically, um, an attorney has to be present, of course, during all of that because you want to protect the privilege. But an expert typically is not covered by privilege. So those are they're just technical things you have to keep in mind. But in terms of what we do as jury consultants, we do anything from the very get-go, which is let's say that a client is considering hiring an expert in a certain field, let's say, you know, genealogical forensics and profiling, and they have two or three candidates. They would want an opinion sometimes of whom, what I choose and why, and what to look out for. So I, one might be the best expert in the world on the subject, but they're very bad in terms of presenting and answering questions. That doesn't make them very compelling to a jury. So I might help in the selection of the expert. Um, I might help in the lineup of how the fact witnesses should be laid out in terms of presenting them and telling the story. And depending on how you're going to tell your story would potentially impact the sequence of the witnesses. And then very often I'm called in to either evaluate how they did after they did a deposition by either reading the transcript or watching them on the video deposition, or preferably beforehand and do a mock run through, as you mentioned, see them how they answer questions both friendly and hostile and see what their coping mechanisms are to deal with hostile questions and then help them practice more effective ways to do that and get them comfortable in doing it. Do you ever have a case maybe where like a lawyer really wants to bring this particular person as a witness and they don't want to and you're able to kind of help coax them into being a witness? Are you ever Mm. working in that capacity? That's less the case. I mean, first of all, um, there are certain scenarios where the witness doesn't really have much of a choice, and then there are those where they do. Um, More often, what I get asked to do is have a witness who's reluctant but willing to testify, but there are certain subjects they really want to keep private, off-limits, whatever the thing is, because it can embarrass them or something. Maybe they had an affair, maybe they lost a job, you know, different things. Sure. I'm able to get them comfortable about that because there are some things that we just can't keep off limits. Yeah. 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 I always thought that there was no choice that you. Yeah, I guess I guess that's a clarifying thing. So, like, if I get called to witness, I have to do it legally. No, there are different scenarios. Some you might be required. I mean, if you've been subpoenaed by by law enforcement, I'm pretty sure you have to go. (laughs) (laughs) Not an attorney and I can't give legal advice. So I just want that caveat. I would definitely consult counsel. But, you know, my lay person's advice would be don't ignore that. Contrary to some popular things you may hear in the news, some people doing 
um, who are making it up as they go, but the real yeah. people don't do that. Um, but there are situations where you might be beyond what they call subpoena power, which is like at least 200 miles of the venue, but I don't recall. I have to double check. In a civil case, you may be beyond subpoena power for a civil case. So you can't be called unless you move within that space, in which case, if you don't want to testify, I suggest you not do that. Interesting. But if you get picked to be on a jury, you can't be like, no, I don't want to do this one. You have you to do it. You can say anything you want, but it may not work. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, some judges, especially, you know, it fluctuates by venue and by time. So since covid a lot of people are not comfortable being in a courtroom with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been studies done by the state courts and in Texas jury projects on the people that are more willing or less willing to show up now in person for jury duty. But in general, if you express a great discomfort for some reason, then a judge may consider it. But sometimes the judge will be, that's kind of too bad. We need you to serve as a juror and that's going to be a juror. Yeah. And also, if people make up too many excuses in a row and it becomes obvious that that's just what they're doing, judges kind of tend to stick it to them and say, no, you're staying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if Unless. you're like trying everything and then you're like, I hate people and I hate, you know, right. wearing clothes and shoes. <laughs> All that. Right, right. That's a problem for me. You know, keep my eyes open and stuff. I don't, I'm not like into that. <laughs> but actually, the thing that tends to work much more effectively instead of the 10, you know, lame excuses is simply biased. But, you know, you really do have a duty to tell the truth. You're not supposed to lie, yeah, in, to, yeah. you know, in court. But most of us have a bias, conscious or unconscious. So that's usually a more legit way to just say, you know what, I don't know that I can be fair because I really strongly believe X, Y, Z. Yeah. Now, the, the, the rookie move after that is that when a judge or an attorney says, well, but, you know, you're intelligent, right? You can be fair and impartial and put that aside. And you know, most people go, oh, OK, I'll, tr- yeah. I'll try. <laughs> That's where the rookie move is. The expert potential juror who's not interested in staying will often say, I don't know about that. I don't think I can. <laughs> Have you ever had like. Once again, like watching the Johnny Depp trial, people were freaking out because she would always look at the jury and talk and not. And do you have people that on the jury that that will work and they connect with that person because they feel like they're talking to them? And does that work like that or not really? So um, what really works is being sincere, whatever Mm. that is. Yeah. Whatever that is, be sincere. Don't use tactics and ploys. Yeah. Be real. You know, if it's staged, it's going to look just like it is. And those are professional actors who look staged. So, (laughs) you know, if they can't pull it off, you know. Yeah. um, I mean, I say there are various things. One thing is it certainly is a good idea if you can at some point kind of make some eye contact with the jury. But it can't be like, what's your name? You see your name and then pivot your head to the jury, you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it was making me uncomfortable and I wasn't even a jury member. I'm like, this is right. weird. <laughs> exactly. People have a natural instinct to smell BS and, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> totally. <laughs> have you ever had like where, and maybe this is only in movies, but a jury member has like f- fallen in love with a defendant. Is that just like a movie thing? No, it's happened. You know, I've been blessed to work with some very attractive people. (laughs) (laughs) Some are famous, some less so, but 
you know, some people have not been that hard on the eyes and, um, yeah, like where they become attracted or something. Yeah. Where not so much with a defendant necessarily or a witness, although some witnesses have, have garnered attention. Um, (laughs) but it was more the attorneys, you know, it was where, where Mm. a juror kind of was into the attorney and I think afterwards try to reach out to have dinner or something crazy. And, (laughs) You know, trial teams joke about that. It's like, you're having dinner with, you know, juror number two, aren't you? You know. <laughs> that's funny. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, I always wondered that because you see it in movies and stuff. And I always think, is that real? Or It, it you could know. happen. It could happen. Um, obviously, if it's during the trial, it's misconduct and it, and it needs to be reported. Yeah. But it's not uncommon for particular attorneys to connect with particular jurors in a nonverbal way and mm. there to be sort of the wink and blink and smile and, you know, coaxing yeah. of that kinship there because it's to the benefit of that attorney if they have a juror that likes them. Yeah. And what happens if, like, a jury member during – because, I mean, we as a normal person, if I ever got on a jury – I think the days would be long and kind of boring. Do they ever fall asleep? And is that a problem? Always. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would clear? think that, yeah, I would think so, that would be. <laughs> well, again, I've been lucky to work on cases like the OJ case and very high profile <laughs> rock stars and bands and stuff. So people don't tend to fall asleep on those. Yeah. But there's plenty of stuff in between, like insurance and patent and whatever that are pretty lethal in terms of staying awake for some people. And what we find is invariably, uh, well, I try to work, of course, with my clients to give smaller snacks instead of big meals of information so that people can kind of take it in and and keep things moving and visually interesting and change the media and go from a screen to a board to something else to keep people's attention because it is so limited and getting smaller every day. But mm-hmm. we do find that jurors sleep and invariably from mockery research of over 30 years that I've done, the sleeping juror always talks during deliberations. And part of the reason that they sleep, if it's not because they have a night job or something sort of, you know, <laughs> physiological, um, <laughs> is because they check out because they go, yeah, I got it. I know what happened here. Okay, I'm good. I'm done. Ah. Uh... So they actually talk a lot. So is that a problem? It depends on which side they support. Yeah. Like their mind is made up. Exactly. That's crazy. Interesting. And can you, like, if you see that, like, you're losing the jury and maybe they're going into that place of shutting down, are you able to, like, call a recess? Or, like, how? when is it structured, like, breaks that, like, testimony stops? Um, well, you can. Typically, a judge has a fairly set schedule of there's the mid-morning break. That's usually about an hour and a half. And then they have a break around 1130. And then they break for lunch at 1231. And then it's like an hour to an hour and a half lunch. And then the mid-afternoon break around 330 or 3. And then they sort of wind down at 4 or 5. So mm-hmm. that's a typical kind of structure that most courts have. But if you're seeing that you're losing the audience, by all means, you need to do something different. So you may or may not be able to take a break. Often you can't take a break because the judge wants to get things done, you know, unless you can come up with a good reason as opposed to I'm losing my audience, which the judge doesn't really, you know, it's your problem. Yeah. You need to change what you're doing to get them, you know, you could drop a book and wake them up. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. 
or, or more importantly, kind of spice it up, pick yeah. up your tempo, pick up the volume of your voice, change the cadence of the questioning. What happens if like I'm on the juror because I'm thinking like, what if it was like a very gruesome case? Maybe they're showing images of the body. What mm-hmm. if I like felt sick? Am I able to be like, I need a break? Can they, yeah. can they ask to be dismissed for a moment? Not to be dismissed, but they might ask for a break. Yeah. Okay. That's happened. I, I had a mock trial. It was a civil case, but it involved a gruesome injury. And I'll spare everybody the visual. And it and we were the defendant, so of a machine, of a, a power oh. machine. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go into detail. Hey. And um, I told the attorney for the defense for the insurance company that was defending the case, they wanted to show all these pictures. I'm like, that that's great if you're the plaintiff. But I would never do that if I'm the defendant because you're making it horrible. I said, not to mention, it's very unpleasant. Obviously, the plaintiff would want to do that. But I wouldn't do that if I'm the defendant. So he insisted on doing that. And we did the mock trial in a hotel with closed-circuit television. And all of a sudden, he shows it. And I hear sort of this room full of people going, (gasps) and then everything stops. So I ran into the room to see what happened. Somebody had passed out. Oh, oh no. my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, so that's the mock trial reaction. Do you want that to happen at trial? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh. How yeah. long, what's your longest, besides obviously OJ, because I felt like that went on for like years, but it was like nine months or something. What's yeah. your longest that you've been a part of? Oh, well, you know, there's two ways basically to measure it, meaning have been involved in the case that comes back and and then goes away and comes back because of appeals or changes Mm. or rulings. So that's one duration type of measurement. The other is on trial, in trial, in the court. I can't name the name of it, but I lived in LA with a famous rock band for almost a month. And as the kids say, that didn't suck. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Every day among the most famous rock stars in, in rock history. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. Every breakfast, lunch, and dinner for almost a month. Wow. I was only supposed to come and work with one of the lead defendants who was a major star um, to do witness preparation on them. And then just stay for the day of the jury selection. So that would have been about five days. Oh, okay. And I brought about five, 10 days worth of clothing. And then the uh, client said, gee, could you stay for the whole trial? (laughs) And I said, well, for this rock band, I think I could make it work. Did you just wear the same five outfits? No, I went immediately shopping to (laughs) to the mall. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Have you ever been asked to work a case that, because I feel like this is where your own moral compass might come into play a little bit, because have you ever had to work a case and you're looking at it and you're like, yeah, you're really guilty. Like, and I have to defend you. How does that work? Okay, great. So I'm going to say a hard no and I'll explain how and why. And I've probably turned down over a million dollars of income over my lifespan because of the times I've said no, which I sleep just fine at night having said no. Yeah. In the past, I worked for large national consulting firms and I just made it very clear to them that, and, and to their credit, they wouldn't force anybody to work on a case they really couldn't handle didn't want to for whatever reason. So I, I have some restrictions, which was I would not help a murderer 
who I believed was guilty. I wouldn't help anyone who was involved in either child sex abuse, sexual harassment, or trafficking, or just sexual abuse of any kind, or battering or anything of that nature, abusive to their partner, whatever. So I would not, what I would define as really bad people. So, you know, in lay terms, I would not help to do that. And in part, because I believe that what I do is extremely specialized and I can really impact results. And I don't want to give that to someone that I don't feel merits it. And I, I would feel very badly if I helped someone that I thought was a bad guy or a bad woman did something, you know, knowingly badly and then help them skirt their responsibility for that. So I, I clearly have said no many times over and I'll either refer it to someone else if I have a client relationship with the person who's reaching out to me because I get good results or I'll just let them know right out, look, I, I have a conflict. Did you ever struggle with that initially, like whether drawing the boundary or feeling like, oh, I need the experience, so I'm just going to do it? Or was this something that you have to go into knowing, like, I'm not going to cross these lines? Yeah, I mean, I think that's very individual. I was lucky that I was clear for myself where my discomfort came from, even if I couldn't name it. It didn't matter. It was kind of a gut thing like, yeah, that's no, I don't think so. Sometimes I would meet with them and tell them, look, I can't commit to helping you until I get a sense of what this is really about and who we're talking about. And I would meet the client with the attorney and I would ask my own questions to see if I could be satisfied that in fact they were likely responsible for the bad behavior they were accused of or likely not. You know, and there are a variety of people like that, rapists and all kinds of other people. So if I thought, you know what, I believe them. I think they really do deserve a defense that I can help. Um, on the other hand, if I thought, you know what, I don't think so. This doesn't pass the smell test for me. I don't want to. So mm -hmm. I made that arrangement with my employers and most companies will not force anybody to do anything that is in that category. Um, the other side of it is that there are clear and outright conflicts. So, for example, if I worked on a case involving Enron, and I'm going to call them the good guys, and I won't go into detail who they were, or Madoff, and it was the good guys, right? Mm -hmm. And if Madoff or Enron calls and says, can you help us, then it's a clear conflict. I can easily just say, no, I can't. It's a conflict. I'm not going to give any detail. Yeah. So, But to your point, someone who's young in the profession who might feel pressure, whatever, I think, you know, your gut is really your best advisor sometimes. And if you feel like, you know what, I'm not sure about this, listen to it. Yeah. That, you know, they say if you don't stand up for something, you'll fall for anything. That's true. That's very, very true. How did you get into this? So that's, that's a fun story. The short version is that I was studying linguistics at Columbia University. I was getting a PhD in linguistics, and then they closed the department, but they said that I could study something related to linguistics. So I could switch into psychology and study language development and language behavior. And I thought, okay, well, that, that seems interesting. So I did that, and I studied verbal behavior and nonverbal, and it was all very interesting and fun. And then I was going to get a PhD in psychology. And then what happened was that managed care happened with HMOs. And I knew my personality was not a good fit for having to describe to an insurance person every few months why a particular patient after three months wasn't cured of their psychological trauma from a lifetime. So I knew that that was going to be very frustrating to me and I didn't want to do that. 
Now, during the course of going to graduate school, as a, first in linguistics and then beyond, I became an interpreter to make money to afford grad school. And I worked in various courtrooms doing court interpretation, but also in depositions. And so I became very familiar with the legal process and procedures and really liked it. I liked the fact that there was this combination of both rules, but also creativity, that there were both finite and infinite aspects to it in some regards. And there was interpretation. There was both verbal behavior, nonverbal behavior, visual, a lot of things that I thought were very interesting. And that different cases were like different worlds that you could learn about. So all of that attracted me. And I didn't feel attracted to arguing with insurance companies to pay my bills. That makes sense. So <laughs> that's kind of how it happened. That makes sense. Yeah. I can follow that. Right? So that's how it happened. And then a very good friend of mine who knew about this profession, because it was pretty early on, said to me, you know, Lori, there's this profession that's got your name written all over it. And I happen to know somebody who's involved, and I think you should check into it. So I did. And thanks to her, as they see in that profession, once you have the bug, it's really hard to get over. And I got bitten, and I love it. Are there a lot of you that do this, or is it a pretty niche little corner? Well, when I started, I would say maybe there were 100 people. Okay. The whole country. And I'm talking about including graphics people. It was really very limited. And oh. we all knew each other's names. We still do. And it's expanded exponentially since then. Of course, you have the TV program Bowl, and it's grown substantially. And it, and it came out of the marketing industry that where you always do focus groups. Yeah, because I would think law firms would have someone like you on staff. Do they typically have someone in-house or is this something that they're always outsourcing to someone like you? So you're very strategic, but most of them aren't. Very few law firms have someone like me in-house. First of all, only a few percentages of cases ever actually go to trial. Most of them okay. get settled or, or disposed of in some other way. So you think about it. If 97 or 98% of the caseload for the firm gets settled, what do they need someone like me full time? Sure, sure. But yeah. also, there are some cases that are really, they're in trial all the time. There are a couple of them that are really boutiques for that. And some of them have someone in-house and others come to me. I guess now, sorry, Nikki, if you have anything, interrupt me. But I guess now I'm kind of thinking about Lori as a person like how do you because I, I don't know the, the the part of talking to people like yourself that always interests me is you sometimes are exposed to some of the worst of humanity and you hear and see these things that are just awful and things that I probably couldn't even fathom actually happen so how does that affect you as a person and I don't know if you have children but like how did that affect your parenting how do you not let it bleed over even if one does not have the training per se, let's say, to have what they call clinical distance in psychology, um, we all need some kind of coping technique. So first of all, it does spill over to some extent. You can help it. If you know that bad things happened, and they really do happen, and some of them really terrible, you become perhaps, like I have become extra cautious and extra aware, and I think I have a you know, host of ways that people could have a problem that no one else has thought about. And that's a problem because you don't want to be Debbie Downer all the time, you know? Sure. You don't want to be the one who's always saying, hey, watch out, watch out, watch out, because also people don't listen. 
Um, as a parent, I simply have shared what I can in in appropriate doses that are relevant to what's happening in terms of, hey, you know, be aware of this, do's or don'ts that I think that would be worth knowing, and then hopefully you're going to make a right choice. I think you will. So there's that. As far as internet use and so forth, I've created written contracts of, listen, if you're going to have a computer, here's the deal. If you don't do these yeah. things or you do these things that we didn't agree to, you lose the computer. So I was very, very clear. I think clarity is a good thing in terms of the parenting side of things. In terms of other stuff, in terms of how do you not have it harm you emotionally, um, there are a lot of things. Uh, I've done a lot of work with law enforcement, and some of the coping techniques are not healthy that I don't involve myself with, like excessive drinking. That's an unfortunate hazard of some of this. But believe it or not, they really cut loose and, and there's a lot of humor to kind of counteract it, sort of gallows humor. Some people engage in that. But I think the healthy things to do are self-care in terms of making sure you're taking the breaks you need to get a massage if you can or, you know, just do something simple that reconnects you with real people and real things and do what you can to be kind and, and sort of surround yourself with good things and good people because you need it to counteract it and understand that what you're seeing is not the norm. That isn't the norm. It's abnormal. Yeah. See, that would be such a hard thing, I think, for me to to frame it that way in my head because it would feel normal since it was just what I was being presented with every day. I'd be like, oh, my God, the majority of people are just evil, you know, and the rarity is these nice, kind people. Yeah, well, I think, you know, talking is really important for all of us on some level to make sure that you get to vent it to people who can understand who have their head yeah. on straight. So the first thing is to just talk to people. And if you're dealing with other professionals that are involved in the case, you want to ask them questions and, and share with them how it's affecting you and see if they have any thoughts of how you might be able to deal with it. But also, I and this one is a different one, you may be given the opportunity in various situations to see something gruesome photographs yeah but you don't have to you know what i'm saying to do your job you may not have to so really think hard about whether or not you want to because you can't unsee them and i'll tell you something i had the access to see the crime photo scene photos from the oj case i'm one of the few people who refused to how do you do that, Lori? That is some willpower because I feel like the curiosity will always get the best of me. Like I always think I want to look <laughs> through a window and then I'm like, oh, why did I peek? You know, like, <laughs> and I just like, in that moment, I'm like, oh yeah, sign me up. I want to see. Yeah, Mariah, you're going to call me next time first. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I will because I literally am always like, oh yeah, uh-huh, I can handle that. I want to see that. And then I'm like, oh no, I'm not going to sleep for a week. No, no, this is going to be a problem. Well, I I knew, I had worked around a lot of law enforcement, as I said, between 1980 and 1992, I had worked both as an expert witness and as a translator in the courts and had worked on many investigations with the Department of Justice and Treasury and had a lot of exposure to a lot of very unbelievable and interesting things that I wouldn't trade for the world. But I was very clear that bad things happen and that very bad things happen that are not part of our normal life and that you could not unsee certain things. And that when I heard hardened investigators, law enforcement people describe the photographs from that case as the worst they had ever seen, I believed it. I believed yeah. it. And it wasn't easy in the sense of 
the curiosity factor and that I had access and most people didn't and, you know, those kinds of thoughts that normal people have. But I just, anybody that I knew had seen those photographs regretted it. Yeah. So um, I just, I get, you know, look, I sound like I'm the clearest person that ever lived. I'm, believe me, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm a human being like anybody else. I have my weaknesses and foibles and my, you know, I've made my mistakes in, in, you know, plenty. But I've been fortunate that there are a couple of things that I've really made the call that I don't regret. So all I can say to anyone else is don't assume just because you can that you should. That's all. Yeah, that's such a good phrase. I should probably put that on my like mirror to myself every day. Well, Nikki, do you want to just do a couple fun questions and then we'll let Lori go and resume her day? Yeah, sure. Okay, Lori, we just ask a couple silly random questions to kind of get to know your personality a little bit. My expertise, answering Perfect. fun, spontaneous, silly questions. Take it away. Um, I always like to ask this one. What is something that you hoard? That's a great question. I would probably say hardware. Tools, oh, really? yeah, tools, because the right tool is everything. So if you need a Phillips screwdriver and you don't have it, that's a problem. So okay. yeah, I I have a variety of tools as well as small hardware that comes in handy. Okay. Is there a sound that you associate with your job? A sound? What a very interesting question. Yeah, I would see the gavel. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. My question is, what would be your last meal? Oh, my God. It would be big. Um. Yeah, I mean, go for it. It's the last one. Well, for I mean, it's a no-brainer. It has to have bacon. I would probably want some lobster. Um you know, the bacon, I would probably want a very specific BLT. I'd like great New York pizza. Um, I'd like some really good lava cake. Mm. And it goes on from there. I, you know. You have a little medley of everything. Yeah, just like it's like a sample platter. Exactly. Exactly. With unlimited, with unlimited seconds. Do you have a favorite cocktail or what kind of beverage would you have? Um, I'm a big water drinker, but then again, if it's my last meal, I don't know how hydrated I have to stay. So <laughs> I'd probably hit it hard. Um, I like sour drinks. I, I really oh, okay. like, yeah, I like things like a lime gimlet would be mm. good. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that would work. I could hit the spot. Yeah, that'll do I it. I could hit the spot. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, extra on the lime. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or just a straight, normal, you know, good margarita, not iced, because you don't want to die with brain freeze, you know. Oh, yeah. Lori, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for Same answering here. your questions and explaining your job so well. And um, great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure to me as well. And if any of your listeners has a question that I can answer, I'm happy to do it. And I applaud what you're doing, and I'm sure we'll be in touch. Loved her. She loved yeah. her. She was that that job was nothing like I thought. It was pretty cool. I mean, I think it's amazing. Okay, have you ever seen? Because this is literally what I was picturing in my head the entire time she was talking. Have you seen Chicago the musical? Mm, with, no, I, like the um, movie. Um, 
Yes. Yeah, I saw the movie. So remember the the like end scene with Richard Gere and he's saying how the courtroom's like a circus and he's like orchestrating everything. Yeah, I kind of do. I got to rewatch it then. Okay, that's literally what I was picturing in my head the entire time. <laughs> because that's what she feels like. She's like the ringleader of like what is happening and like the jury and then what witnesses we're going to call and in what order and what we're going to show and how we're going to respond to that. Like she's literally sitting there like orchestrating every little tiny bit of how it's going to flow out. And that's wild. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. But she seems very like controlled. Oh, yeah. And very, like, in tune with who she is as a person and, like, her boundaries and what she's willing to participate in and what she's not. I mean, the fact that she didn't look at the OJ pictures, I could never. Uh. Like, that takes so much control of who you are as a person and, like, your ability to safeguard yourself and, like, your mental state. I don't have that. And I, 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 th- I don't have – I would open – give me the pictures. Please. Like, anything – I'm it, like that I meant, with pictures. I'm like that with presents. I'm like that with like information. I'm just like dying inside. Dying. Gotta, gotta know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, but see, but then it becomes that thing that it's like I do it and then I'm like, wish oh yeah, I'll regret that. it for sure. So I applaud Lori and her ability to protect her mental self. Cause I don't, I don't do that. No. And then I always regret it afterwards. And then I get like the remorse, like, you know, like buyer's remorse where you're like, oh man, shouldn't have done that, you know, but I can't help it. I can't. Yeah. With every aspect of my life, I'm like that because I just like, especially if like you, if I didn't know about it, I'm not searching for it, but now you've said it and now I need to know. So now you might go look now because now you've got the scratch. Yeah. And I got to itch it. You're going to itch it or not? Yeah. Uh 100%. Yeah. Got to know. Yeah. No. So I wouldn't have that kind of willpower. And I knew even if it's like going to just bother me after knowing, I'm still going to do it. Can't help it. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, that's that's like my my photo books of like the morgue oh. that I have, that I had to have, that I tracked down from like Europe. And then they're so graphic. The images are like burned in my brain. Yeah. I just didn't. I think you sent me like a link or something, but that I didn't I did. click on. But see how I would not, if you had sent me a thing. I was in a different mind space when you sent it to me, though. Fair. That's fair. Because I just, I'm too curious of a person. Yeah, no. I think because I, it was so soon after people had passed in my life that, like, I'm like, yeah, don't do it. And I didn't. So I guess I did have willpower with that. Or actually, you know what? I think I looked at maybe one and I was like, yeah, I don't know if I can do this. Well, you stopped yourself. Yeah. And normally I don't have Which is that. still hard to do. And I can't do that. I can't do it like mid peek through the window. Mm-hmm. I'm already here. So it's like, I'm just going to go mm-hmm. in. But aside from her ability to draw boundaries for herself, she just seems like an incredibly kind and thorough and joyful person yeah. who I would love to work with on a daily mm-hmm. basis. Totally. Yeah. Very calming. She's great. Yeah. She's great. Awesome. So, you know. If you are in need of a jury consultant, she's your gal. Literally didn't even know that was a job. That's so, like, such a cool job. And I like how Mm -hmm. she started out wanting to do, like, linguistics. And, you know, I feel like she can, like, read people's, like, body language pretty easily. Yeah. That sort of stuff. Yep. Yeah. Get a sense of their vibe. Yeah. Like, pretty well. Totally. Yeah. She's, she's like, the great person in your friend group who can, like, easily weed out other people and be like, nope. 
not gonna fit with yeah, us you know? not gonna work <laughs> I love that person who's like got a 30 second read yeah. and they know what's up yeah the best yeah like weirdo red flag mm-hmm. bye-bye I love that yeah so yeah Lori she can join the friend group there you go Exactly. I'll, I'll take her any day. Exactly. We're just stacking up the friend groups as we're doing these I love um, interviews. I mean, they're one-sided right now, so hopefully they <laughs> accept our friend request. But right now, our friend roster is really large. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Hey, it's a start. Oh, man. I love it. Well, I mean, let's see who we've got next week. Maybe we've got another friend oh coming God, next maybe week. Maybe we I do. Can't wait. Let's see. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at bodytoburial.com. If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time.